uh, you've seen on the screen already called Waiting for Christmas. You know, it's an interesting thing about Christmas. I, I can't think of any season that quite consumes Americans like the Christmas season, at least when it comes to the length of it and the frequency, that being every single year. And at this point, there are the, the signs of Christmas all around us. Even this morning, God gave us one with the snow, right? At least here in, in Minnesota. Um, stores are open later, and uh, they, they open up earlier. They close later. Any, everywhere you go, it seems, there's Christmas music playing in the background. Starbucks and Caribou have transitioned uh, to their Christmas cups, which there's always controversy over. And you should call them holiday cups, but I call them Christmas cups because I can, and I'm a pastor. <laughs> Those Christmas cups. Yes, thank you, Irene. Yes. Um, TV, uh, showing all the, the old Christmas classics like Frosty and Rudolph and the Christmas story and how the Grinch stole Christmas. And anyone know that this was the uh, 50th anniversary of how the Grinch stole Christmas? I didn't know it was that old. Jim Carrey is a really old dude. Um, <laughs> new classics like Home Alone and the best Christmas movie ever. Is anyone with me on this one? Elf with Will Ferrell. Like, that is the best. The best one ever, yeah. Um, when you drive even, I mean, it's Christmas everywhere. The lights and nativity scenes and blow-up Santa Clauses and wreaths and garland, and Christmas is everywhere. You're finishing some travel plans up or maybe thinking about them for the first time, and kids are putting gift lists together and getting out the old JCPenney catalog and circling, wait, okay, no, that was me, um, circling things that they want. Um. And December has become a season of thinking about Christmas and preparing for Christmas and in many ways, waiting for Christmas. Now, here's something that I want to point out that maybe you've never had it articulated this way, but I'm guessing that when I say it, you'll agree with me. Then in the midst of the waiting for December 25th, there's this interesting thing that happens. That all the feelings and the emotions that we normally have, the Christmas season puts an amplifier on all of them. And that can be good, and it can be bad. So for instance, if you feel quite satisfied with your life, or with your health, or with the things going on around you, the Christmas season amplifies that, and in general, you feel even better. And then the song is true. It's the most wonderful time of the year. But it's, Christmas season is not the most wonderful time of the year for everybody, is it? And maybe not for some of you right now, because the reverse is true, that when things aren't going well, the Christmas season has all these expectations and all these memories, and it can amplify the bad feelings and it really kind of magnifies whatever is going on in here normally. So if, if you're a lonely person, the Christmas season tends to make you lonelier. If you're a discontented person, the Christmas season can at times make you feel even more discontented. If you're a grieving person, 
Or if maybe you're thinking about a loved one who hasn't been here for many years, or maybe this is the first Christmas without him or her. That grief becomes even more amplified at times during the Christmas season. Would you, would you not all agree? And then there's this something, there's this thing about the Christmas season. I'm not even talking about the religious Christ aspect yet. I mean, that's what this whole series is about. But just take that out for just a second. Just American Christmas, there's this aspect which, well, makes our first fill-in true, that Christmas moves us as a nation at times to think about a life that's, that's bigger than life. Now, there are exceptions to this rule, but whether it's thinking about a, <laughs> a bearded man in a red suit that gives toys to people who are nice and not naughty, or the emphasis on family or doing good during Christmas season, or for a Christian, something much more base than that or focused than that, the birth of Jesus, Christmas moves us to think about a life that's bigger than life. And in the midst of that, we start to have questions all the time, but maybe especially during the Christmas season. What's God up to? What are his plans for me and for my family? And, and sometimes even in, in the midst of that, um, let's be honest, because that's what we do here at Bethlehem, we're honest, um, we're not always happy with God. It's, it's okay to admit that. It's not right, but it's okay. And even pastors sometimes get discontented with life and is not sure what God might be up to in our lives. And so in this series, we're going to take three weeks to just really focus in on some questions that you might have during the Christmas season as you're waiting for Christmas about God, about his plans, and then we're going to look to see how Christmas answered that for people who are also waiting for Christmas. So you see, we have about three weeks to wait for Christmas. But there were people in the Old Testament, that is the time before Jesus came, that had hundreds of years and some people who were waiting for Christmas for thousands of years. You see, the, the first announcement that Christmas is going to be here is not, you know, the Target display in September. <laughs> the first announcement was in the Garden of Eden when after Adam and Eve sinned, God came and said, you screwed up. You deserve punishment. But I'm going to give you a way out of that punishment. I'm going to send a savior who's going to crush the head of the serpent, crush the head of the devil. And then for a long time, people waited. I mean, it would have been nice if Jesus came like the next day, but he didn't. And generations came waiting for Christmas, and they had questions, and generations died, and Jesus still had not come. And people struggled with God, and they struggled with what he was up to, and they wondered why he waited so long. And yet, Galatians says that just at the very right time, when the plan was perfect, God sent his son. But in the midst of that, there were challenges. So today, we're going to look into the life of a man who lived about a thousand years before Jesus was born. It's a name that many of you are going to recognize. His name was David, and he was the most famous and powerful king 
of Israel. And here's the thing about David, and I think you can relate to him. He had plans for his life, and God did not fulfill them the way he asked. He had some plans for what was going to happen next in his life, and God gave him a big, fat no. And in the process of looking at him for just a few minutes today, here's what I hope happens for you. That you, as you wait on, and as you have plans, that God gives you direction on, in the waiting, what you should do and where you should focus. Okay? Sound good? Any of this relate to you? Ever had God say no to something you wanted? All right, so I think it probably includes all of us. So we're going to turn to 2 Samuel chapter 7. Again, 1,000 years before Jesus, a man named David, he has um, just recently taken the throne, being that he just became king, and he just came off of a couple... Um, battles that where he conquered enemies that were um, nations that were uh, threatening Israel. And so now he's kind of in a time of relative peace and relative ease, and he's got this idea. Second Samuel chapter 7. After the king, David, was settled in his palace, and the Lord had given him rest from all his enemies around him, he said to Nathan, the prophet, uh, maybe in our language we would say Nathan the pastor, Nathan the preacher. (laughs) Here I am living in the house of cedar, David said, while the ark of God remains in a tent. And so if I could put all of this in our language, David's enjoying the luxuries of being a rich guy on earth. And he looks around as he's sitting in his palace made of really expensive materials like cedar And he thinks for a moment a really good thought. I have all this stuff that I recognize is from God, and yet I look around and God, or the place we worship God, is a tent made of poles and fabric. Something is just not right about this. Now, let's pause for a second. What do you think about David's idea and plan? Do you think... It was a good one from a God-following perspective. I mean, yeah, absolutely. This was not like, oh, I I wish God would give me even more. Or this wasn't a selfish plan. It was a good plan. It was a godly plan. As far as we can tell, there was no selfish motives behind it. You've had plans like that too, good ones. Not selfish. You're not asking for a lot. You're just, you just have plans. (laughs) Well, he shared it with Nathan, verse 3. Nathan, the pastor, replied to the king, whatever you have in mind, go ahead and do it, for the Lord is with you. Let's put this again in our language. It's like you having an idea to, let's say, serve the Lord in some way or some other idea, and you come to me and ask, "Um, what do you think about this? And I hear it, and I hear your motives behind it, and and I I hear that you're sincere and not selfish in this idea, and from what I can tell, be like, yeah. Sounds like a good plan. I think, I think God will bless that. Go after that. So it's happening here. Good plan. The pastor thought it was too. <laughs> what did God think? Verse 4. But that night, the word of the Lord came to Nathan saying, go and tell my servant David that this is what God says about your plan. 
David, are you the one to build me a house to dwell in? Verse 5 or 6, I have not dwelt in a house from the day I brought the Israelites up out of Egypt to this day. I have been moving from place to place with a tent as my dwelling. Verse 7, wherever I have moved with all the Israelites, did I ever say to any of their rulers whom I commanded to shepherd my people Israel, did I ever say this, why have you not built me a house of cedar? Now, my first reaction to God's answer is, why is he so crabby with David? I mean, it was a good plan. The pastor even said so. There wasn't selfish motives behind it, again, as far as we can tell. It was a godly plan, he, so he thought. And yet, God goes in this long explanation. Why couldn't he just say, thank you, David, but No. Here's here's what's going on, I firmly believe. David, in his heart, had gone to a place where, again, this wasn't an ungodly, sinful thing, but he just assumed that what he thought was good was going to be good for him. That what he thought was good was going to be what was good for everybody. What he thought was good was what God wanted. And it wasn't a bad thing. It was a good thing. But it wasn't a God thing, as good as it was. That David was not the person that God had picked to build the temple. And and this leads us to our next fill-in, which is really clarifying but really hard. Good plans are not always God plans. You see, just because your plan isn't happening or your plan didn't go the way you thought doesn't mean it wasn't a good plan and it doesn't mean that God doesn't love you and it doesn't mean that there's anything wrong with you. It just means that sometimes there are lots of good plans and not every good plan that you think is good is a God plan. Now, I can tell from your eyes and faces that you can relate to this, at least many of you. Because you've had plans that God said no to. And maybe you're in the midst of that right now. Um, Some of you have family plans that uh, aren't happening. Um, I know there are people at our church that have been praying for years that God would give them a Christian spouse or that a Christian couple would have, uh, be able to have a child and and God hasn't allowed that to happen, and it's a good plan. And if, if they would come to me and th- say, hey, what do you think about this plan? I would say, it's a good plan. Lord be with you. <laughs> and, and yet God's given them a no. Or maybe they're financial plans. Have, have you ever reasoned to yourself or with God, like if there was just a little more wiggle room, you know, things would be better? Lord, if, and we make these deals, like here's one, like, Lord, if, if you just allow us to afford a bigger home, I mean, guess what I could do? I could host a growth group finally. And like, this is a whole God thing. It's all about you, God. Give me more. It's all about you. Or, or you know, men, you know, I would even be willing to add on or have a little mother, a mother-in-law suite. I mean, this is all about you, God. Give me a little bit more. But 
there could be good ideas and good plans behind it, but, but God says sometimes no to those plans. Or, or maybe you had ideas on, on how your, your life was going to go with your spouse and something happened. Or, or maybe uh, you had ideas about how easy marriage would be and then you got married. Um, <laughs> God said no. <laughs> maybe you have some chronic health thing that just is not going away, and the list can go on, but God at times says, no, I need you to know it's not because God doesn't love you or he's not there or he doesn't care. There are a lot of good plans, and yours is probably one of them, but good plans are not always God plans, and it's really interesting how God then continues with David. I think this is going to be encouraging for you. Look what he does next in verse 8. He says, Tell, so Nathan, go tell my servant David. This is what the Lord Almighty says. So he continues, David, I want you to remember how I took you from the pasture, from tending the flock, and appointed you ruler over my people Israel. He says, David, remember back when you were a teenager? And you were like the the runt of the litter, the, the family. You had all those brothers that were much like, in worldly view, better than you, and I picked you to be the king. You remember how all that has happened? These things I've done for you, I've been with you wherever you have gone, and I have cut off all your enemies from before you. And it's this interesting thing. In the midst of the no, God says, wait. Don't focus on the no, because I know that that's probably what you're going to want to do. But in the very next breath, he says, don't forget what I already have given you. Don't forget what I have done for you. When we are in our most disgruntled with God over him having other plans, this is exactly what we need to do for ourselves. You and I need to pause in the midst of these thoughts and feelings, I'm just going to say them, that that God is not good, that God doesn't care, that God doesn't love me, that God might not even be there, potentially, thoughts. And we need to stop and recount all the blessings that we already have. And it may not be the one you're asking for, but they're there. Our next fill-in says this. A loving God can say no and still be a loving God. A loving God can say no to good plans and still be loving. They can coexist together. Are there any good things in your life? You have a home to live in? And guess what? It's smaller, so the mother-in-law doesn't have to live with you. I mean, wow. <laughs> and you don't have to clean up for growth group, you know. And we have so much big things and little things and temporal things and heavenly things. And in our moments of dealing with a no or God having other plans, we need to do again, what God did for David. Recount those blessings. Now, the cool thing about this section and why we're looking at it in Advent is what's coming next because the ultimate way that David was going to get peace in the no 
or that God had other plans was all about Christmas. Look at verse 9. Now, David, I'm going to make your name great. It's interesting how God fulfills his promises. Um, How many of you, you don't have to raise your hand, but many of you have heard of David, probably the majority of you. King David. God prophesied that. Like the names of the greatest men on earth, and I will provide a place for my people Israel and will plant them so that they can have a home of their own and no longer be disturbed. Verse 11. Wicked people will not oppress my people anymore as they did at the beginning and have done ever since the time I appointed leaders over my people Israel. I will also give you rest from all your enemies, David. The Lord declares to you that the Lord himself will establish a house, an ancestry for you. And when your days are over, David, and you rest with your ancestors, I will raise up your offspring to succeed you, your own flesh and blood, and I will establish his kingdom. There are a couple things going on in this section. There's this immediate fulfillment of what God is telling David about his house that will continue. And he's saying, David, in the midst of a very difficult political climate, I'm going to promise you that your son named Solomon is going to be the next king. And in fact, verse 13 He will be the one who will build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. Again, this is proof that David's plan was not a bad plan. It was a good plan. It was just not a God plan at that moment or for David, but instead his son would be the one to build the temple. And we see how that happened years later. And it says, I will be his father. That's okay. And he will be my son. When he does wrong, I will punish him with a rod wielded by men, with floggings inflicted by human hands. And at this point, we're starting to see God also talking about another son that would come, an ancestor of David who would be flogged by human beings. Verse 15, but my love will never be taken away from him as I took it away from Saul, who rejected him and who I removed from before you. David, your house and your kingdom will endure forever before me. Your throne will be established forever. Does anyone know how long ancestors of David were in power in Israel? No one in the first service knew or even, you know, were brave enough to guess. About 500 years now, that's a long time, but it's far from forever. So, so God's a liar. <laughs> or God's talking about something else. A thousand years before the Savior would come, God says that there would be a king who would come to bring peace even in the waiting, to bring joy even in the midst of the no. In fact, Listen again to some words we read before in Luke chapter 1. After God told through an angel Mary that she was going to be the mother of the Savior, he said these words, The Lord God will be with your child, the throne of his father, will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants, that would be those who believe in Jesus, forever. His kingdom will never end. 
the Bible is an amazing collection of writings. You have this written hundreds of years before Jesus was born, and then an angel comes and says the exact same words that were written. The exact same words spoken by Nathan to David. Jesus would be the king who would reign forever. And you see, my friends, David needed to hear that in that moment because his plans for his life as little or as big as they might have been about building a temple, we're getting a big fat no and it ain't going to happen and it's your son that's going to do it. But for you, I have other plans. And God in his infinite wisdom knew that in that moment what David needed the most was to think about things that were eternal and about a big fat yes that God would give to David in the midst of the big, fat no. Forgiveness? Yes. Hope for eternity? Yes. A place better than this earth? Yes. You build the temple? No. You live forever in my temple, heaven? Absolutely. Our last fill-in. God always plans with eternity in mind, and that's why sometimes we don't always get it. We don't see all of his plans. We don't get all the things that, you know, he sees. But he always prioritizes eternity. That's what he wants for you more than anything else, to be his child. And so sometimes he lets you struggle because in the struggle, you and I (laughs) tend to lean on him more. Sometimes he says no because he needs us to have a period of life where we are continually coming to him and over and over and over again. And then sometimes, years later, he says yes. And sometimes he doesn't. But in it all, he prioritizes your eternity. When I was a a kid, there was a radio guy named Paul Harvey. Um, Good day. I think he said something like that. He was always, this thing was the rest of the story. There is a rest of the story for David when it comes to this specific incident. It's in the rest of 2 Samuel 7. So God said no to David, and he got ticked off and hated God for the rest of his life. That's not the rest of the story, but we got you thinking. It's maybe how you felt. What actually happened was after this promise about a, a savior and this re-promise of a throne that would last forever, the very next verse, David sits in the Lord's presence in faith, and he has 20 verses of praise to God in the midst of the no. You know why? Christmas. You know Why? God's love in sending his son. And so, whether your wait for Christmas in three weeks is one that is like no other time of year, joy, or one that is the hardest season ever, or somewhere in between, your peace will come the same way David's did, by focusing on that Savior born.
and who will come again. Come back next week for part two, and we'll pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for your love that not only promised a Savior, but then followed through in that promise. We'd ask you to help this season to be one where no matter how we feel, that we're filled with the joy that can only come in knowing that eternity has been paid for by our King, Jesus. Pray in this in his name and also pray together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen.